Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be taking a look at verses 8 through 10. Today is going to be our focus, but I do want to read uh, verses 1 through 10. Again, so we get the context of the passage, and uh, then we'll focus our attention on verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The title of our message today is From Death to Life, Transformed by Grace. Transformed by Grace. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 1. This is the Word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me read verses 8 through 10 one more time. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, reminding that this is your word for your church right now, Father, remind us of the truthfulness of your word, remind us of the relevance of your word for our lives, remind us of the life that your word gives to us. If we will, in faith, receive it, believe it, and by your grace, Lord, believing it, live it out in our lives. Father, convict us mold us, challenge us, encourage us in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hopefully you have perhaps almost memorized, if not memorized, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 at this point. If you haven't ever memorized uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10, I would encourage you to do so. Um, if, if you said, Zach, Give me a passage of scripture. If I was going to memorize one passage, though I would encourage you to memorize more than one passage, but give me one passage to start with, to hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him, as the psalmist said. I would probably say Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Um, it would be a great place. Uh, just put it, put it to memory. This is an incredible passage of scripture. In fact, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is one of two passages in God's word which are arguably the most concise and yet complete explanations of the gospel found anywhere in Scripture. The other is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. If you needed to give, wanted to give someone a quick but complete explanation of the gospel from God's word, take them to either Romans 3, 21 through 26, or Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm not saying that there aren't other places. You could take them really just anywhere in God's word, but if you needed somewhere to run to quickly to say this is what the gospel is, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 would be one of those passage, uh, passages of Scripture. In, in this passage and the one in Romans, God through the Apostle Paul provides for us two incredible summaries of God's plan of salvation. 
Or we could say two incredible summaries of, uh, of how sinners can be saved. Two incredible summaries of the gospel of Jesus We've spent two weeks looking at the incredible summary of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, and we have one more part of this summary to hopefully, by God's grace, actively listen to, humbly learn from, and joyfully apply to our lives today. Paul described the bad news of our sin in this passage. Then he described the good news of God's rescue of sinners. And finally, he describes in more detail the manner in which this good news of God's rescue flows into our lives and the impact that it then has on our lives. Or we could put it this way. In verses 1 through 3, we learn that apart from God's saving grace, we are hopelessly dead in sin. And then in verses 4 through 7, we learn that through God's saving grace, we are eternally alive with Christ. In church, in verses 8 through 10, we learn that having received God's saving grace, we are visibly new creations. Having received God's saving grace, we are visibly new creations. Let's think about the structure of chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 of Paul's letter for just a moment. We've seen that the main action, if you recall from last week, was found in verses 5 and 6. And there Paul said that we have been made alive with Christ, raised up with Christ, and seated with Christ. That's the main action of this passage of Scripture. And this comes as the greatest news in all the world when we then compare that good news, that action of God, to the bad news of who we were apart from Christ. According to verses 1 through 3, we were dead in sin. We were walking in the way of the sinful world, in the way of sinful Satan, and in the way of our sinful flesh. And we were by nature children of God's wrath. And then we back up a little further and we remember that Paul made an incredible statement in chapter 1, verse 19. Where, as he's describing for believers how God's empower, incredible power displayed in Christ and through his, his, his resurrection, through his seating in heaven, through him uh, being, putting all things under his feet, being the head of the church, that he says that power is toward us who believe. And so Paul's main point, if we put all of that together, looking at this passage in its context, his main point in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, seems to be to describe for believers how God's incredible power displayed in Christ has been shown toward us by raising us from the depths of spiritual deadness to the heights of spiritual life. We have gone in Christ from hell to heaven. We have gone from death to life. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And God, he says, is the one who has done it. God is the one who's done it. Let's not forget that important phrase which marked the turning point in this passage. You see it there at the beginning of verse 1. The turning point of this passage, which is also the turning point of our lives as we go from being sinners dead in sin to saved, to rescued, to alive in Christ. But God. God is the one who intervenes into our deadness. We were dead, but God has made us alive. And that is the good news of the gospel. But Paul's not quite finished in this passage. After he says, you were dead in sin, and then you have been made alive in Christ, he then gives a couple of more statements. He gives two four statements. Now, not the number four, but F-O-R. Two four statements. And these two four statements describe for us in verses 8 through 10 the transformation that comes to us by way of God's grace through our faith in 
Jesus. First, we learn how this transforming salvation comes into our lives. And second, we learn how this transforming salvation impacts how we live, impacts our lives, not just in eternity, but right now. Remember verse 7, if you want to look back to verse 7. Verse 7 took us to the future. It took us to the future in the new heavens and new earth where we will be the eternal display of the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But verses 8 through 10 brings us back to the here and now. How does this transforming salvation flow into our lives? And then, does it change me now or does it only change me for eternity or in eternity? Those are the questions Paul answers in verses 8 through 10 to which we want to turn our attention Today, I want to share with you three truths concerning God's gracious and transforming salvation. The first two are going to come from that first four statement in verses 8 and 9. And the third truth is going to come from the second four statement in verse 10. So first first truths, two truths from verses 8 and 9. And we'll spend a, a good bit of our time on just that first truth. And then we'll see a second one, and then we'll move to verse 10, and we'll see a third truth that we want to um, learn and apply to our lives today. Truth number one, church, salvation is a free gift of God to be received through faith. Salvation is a free gift of God to be received through faith. This is one of the most foundational truth statements we can make regarding the gospel of Jesus. It's one of those truth statements that is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian, at the very heart of Christianity. Salvation is a free gift of God to be received through faith. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This statement there contains three of the most important words in the whole Bible. Three of the most important words in the whole Bible. Not the only important words, but three of the most important words. Apart from the word Jesus, the name Jesus, these three are of, of utmost importance. In order in the text, grace, saved, and faith. Grace, saved, and faith. I'm going to talk about them in this order, saved, grace, and then faith, okay? But these three words are of utmost importance. The word saved refers to the rescue that we talked in detail about last week. It's the rescue from death to life that every person is in need of and that God is both able and willing to provide. The word saved means nothing less than being rescued from the very wrath of Almighty God. If you think about it, if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you read all of God's Word, you'll see pretty clearly that salvation is, I wouldn't say just a theme, but perhaps the theme of God's Word. It is is central to God's testimony of Himself to us. Let's think about it for just a moment. The existence of for a, of a need for salvation in our lives goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where God cursed the man and the woman and the earth on which they walked because of sin. Right there, there's this need to be rescued. There's this need to be saved. And this need for salvation then is declared throughout the Old Testament. Think about what Jacob said when he said, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Think about what King David said. When he cried out, oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. In Psalm chapter 28, verse 9. This need for salvation is is seen at the very beginning 
It's declared throughout the Old Testament. And then the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation is foreshadowed through incredible events and pictures of salvation all throughout God's Word, throughout the Old Testament there leading up to the coming of salvation. I mean, consider God saving Noah and his family from God's judgment in the flood, shutting them in the ark, God rescuing them. And consider God when He saved Isaac from death on the altar. Consider uh, Israel there enslaved in Egypt and God saved them out of the bondage of their slavery. Fast forward just a little bit and we see God saved Israel through a shepherd boy who defeated their giant of an enemy on their behalf for their good and for God's glory. God providing these rescuing pictures all throughout the Old Testament, foreshadowing the coming salvation. And the coming of salvation was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, such as when God told Abraham that he would bless all the nations through him. Or when David sang, he will send from heaven and save me. Psalm 57, 3. Or when Isaiah said, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Isaiah 33, 22. Or when Jeremiah prophesied, for I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. Or when Joel said, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel 2:32. Or, or, or we could go to Zephaniah the prophet who proclaimed this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Salvation is the theme of God's word. And then we see the coming of salvation as we turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That this coming of salvation is revealed in the Gospels as the angel told Joseph, She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means salvation, for he will save his people from their sin. And then Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man, speaking about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, this is why I came to bring salvation. And then salvation through Jesus is preached by the early church. Just for instance, Peter said this, and there is salvation no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Speaking of the name of the Lord Jesus. So when Paul uses this word saved, He's not just pulling this word out of thin air. He is explaining that which is at the very heart of the entire Bible, at the very heart of the biggest problem of humanity, and at the very heart of God's personal involvement in this world that He created. The word saved. But then we also have this word grace. What is grace? Grace means unmerited favor. It means getting something good you don't deserve. Grace signifies the goodness of of the giver. It signifies the kindness of the giver, not the worthiness of the receiver. Paul gives another word to help us understand grace when he says at the end of verse 8 that this salvation is a gift. The word gift helps us understand what the word grace means. Sometimes we may say this phrase, uh, grace gift. Salvation is a grace gift. Really, we're being very redundant when we say that, but it is helpful. It's a a grace gift. It's a a free gift because that's what a gift is. It's a gift of God, Paul says. It's not something we earn through our own efforts. It's not by works, but it is something that we must receive as a free gift. If we have to do something to earn it, then guess what it's not? It's not a gift. 
It's not a gift. If I walked into your birthday party and I said, I brought you a gift, I'll give it to you if you go wash my car. Well, that's not a gift anymore. It's a, it's, it's a wage for, for washing my car. Or, or, or if I told one of my children, hey, I'll give you a birthday gift if you behave well in school, treat your sisters with kindness, show respect to your mother and father. If you do those things, I'll give you a, a birthday present. Well, it's not a gift then, is it? It's not a gift. What is that? It's a reward. It's a reward for good behavior, but it's not a gift. A gift is free. It's something that's based on the goodness and kindness and generosity and will of the giver, not on the worthiness of the receiver of that gift. Friends, salvation is not like either of those examples I just gave you. Salvation is not a reward for good behavior, nor is it, is it a wage we earn through obedience to God. Salvation comes to us on the basis of grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor from God. To help us see this even more clearly. And it's so important that we see this because there's so many people, I'm constantly burdened by this, so many people that even, I don't just mean people out there, but I mean people that, that sit in church buildings week in and week out that, that think that, that you, they have to do something to earn God's love. That they live under the burden and the weight of their sin because they, they haven't received the gift of God. They're, they're thinking that they have to do something to earn it. And we just have to come back time and time again to this, this, this word grace and what it means to be saved by grace. Back up to verse 5. Remember that Paul got a little ahead of himself, it seems, uh, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He, he wanted to say that salvation is by grace, but he couldn't wait until he had fi finished explaining what God had done for us in Christ. You're going to wait till verse 8. We've already seen this phrase, for by grace you have been saved. We've already, we've already seen that back in verse 5. The very mention of the character of God in verse 4 contrasted with our state of being dead in our trespasses at the beginning of verse 5 led Paul to kind of just blurt out in praise to God that we are saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved at the end of verse 5. You see, the fact that salvation is on the basis of God's grace shines forth clearly as we see that salvation came to us not when we were pleasing God and thus were somehow deserving of God's love and salvation. It came to us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so church, putting together our spiritual condition apart from Christ in verses 1 through 3 and God's saving action in verses 4 through 7, the only explanation for how we can be saved from our sins is that it is by or on the basis of God's grace. If not for the grace of God, we would be forever lost. I love how Paul said it in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is one of the verses that really helped me as a child understand the gospel of Jesus and what it what it meant to be saved from my sin. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, that's the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's what the word grace means. But just because salvation is a free gift does not mean that it is automatic in our lives. Just because salvation is a free gift doesn't mean that just everybody is just automatically saved. What is automatic, and we've learned this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is that we're dead in our sin. That is automatic in our lives. We are born 
into sin. We are by nature children of God's wrath through our connection to our earthly father, Adam, who sinned and cursed, God had to curse the entire human race because of his sin. So what is automatic is that we are dead in sin, but not that we are saved. That's not automatic. Salvation is free, but it's not automatic. But there is a God-ordained means in which his saving grace flows into our lives, and that means is faith. How does God's saving grace come into our lives? It is through faith or by means of faith. Remember those important words, saved, grace, and faith. If God's saving grace does not flow into our lives through works, since it is by grace, then how does it flow into our lives? Through faith, by means of faith. What is faith? Well, let's start here with what it's not. It's not a good work. Faith is not a good work. Faith is actually begins this way, an admission that we can't do anything to earn salvation, but that God has done the work through Jesus' death and resurrection to save me from my sin. Faith that brings God's grace into our lives is an admission that I can't save myself, that I can't do anything to earn God's love. The faith through which God's saving grace flows means into our lives means resting upon, completely relying upon the finished work of Jesus Christ through his coming, his death, and resurrection in our place. To rest and rely completely upon that. I like how one writer defined faith. I wanted to share it with you. He said this, And this faith, talking about faith that saves, is defined best as turning to God with a sense of need and weakness and emptiness and a willingness to receive what he offers, to receive the Lord himself, the Lord being Jesus Christ. To come to God empty-handed and broken with nothing but our sin and say, I have not, there's nothing in me that should cause you, God, to love me and save me, but you have told me that you sent Jesus to save me from my sin and you will give me that as a free gift and so I receive it. Let me give you a couple illustrations um, to maybe help us think about what saving faith is. I, I want to, I I'm spending some time on this for two reasons. One, because um, if you have never been saved, then you need to know this. You need to understand how salvation, by God's grace, comes into our lives. That it is through faith and what saving faith looks like. Because the Faith is not just believing true things about Jesus, okay? That is not faith that saves. The devil believes true things about Jesus. Satan believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Satan believes that in that he, he has mental assent to that. He believes those are facts. But he doesn't have saving faith because saving faith is something different than just believing true things about Jesus in our minds. Saving faith means we are relying upon Jesus to rescue us from our sin. Well, one illustration, and, and then I told you two reasons, sorry. One is so that if you're not saved today, you can be saved, okay? You're going to hear the gospel and know how to be saved from your sin. The other reason I want to kind of dive into this in a little detail is to help those of us who are saved be able to communicate this to other people. We have children that we're sharing the gospel with. We have family members. We have friends. We have co-workers, classmates that we're sharing the gospel with, and we're trying to explain to them. They say, how can you be saved? You say, well, by faith. They say, well, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Um, we want to be able to help them understand that. Let me give you a couple of illustrations that I, I have personally found helpful in my life. One is just a chair, okay? And y'all have heard me probably use both of these before. One is just a chair. 
and to understand what saving faith is, that it's not just saying, yeah, I believe that that chair has four legs and it can hold me up if I sit in it. I'm giving mental assent to those truths. Well, it's not just that. I can say that all day long. But saving faith is when I actually go sit in the chair and I pick my feet up off the ground and I rely completely upon this to support me. And, and this is not saving faith either, okay? Because I'm not resting completely in the legs of this chair to, to hold me up. I'm actually trusting in myself here. I'm trusting in myself. And, and unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do. We want to mix faith with works and say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also, of course, have to do these good things. And then that just gets our whole doctrine of salvation all messed up, and it leads to a lot of, of disappointment and, and, um, and, 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 um, and lack of understanding in our lives and ultimately worry and fear because we never will measure up. I never can do enough to support myself before a holy and mighty God. The only, only way I can be saved is to rest completely in the finished work of Christ. One other illustration that I personally have found helpful, and it's got a pretty neat story that goes along with it. And again, I've probably shared this with you before, though I think it's been a while. Um, so some of you may not have, have heard this, but there was a, a missionary, and he went by the name of Bruchko, and he was sharing the gospel in the jungles of Colombia. And, and there was a guy who was close to salvation. What I mean by close to salvation, he had heard all the, the truths about Jesus, okay, but he hadn't yet trusted in Christ. He hadn't yet relied upon Jesus. He hadn't believed in Jesus. And, and Bruchko was, he was trying to help explain to him what what the next step was, like he, he had heard the information, now you have to believe, you have to have faith. But there wasn't a word in this guy's native language that Bruchko had been learning for faith, for saving faith. He, there wasn't a word that he could think of to describe it to him. So one night they were all sleeping in their hammocks, some of which were tied fairly high off the ground. They're in the jungles of Colombia. And, um, and, and so they're, they climbed in their hammocks and they're passed out asleep and, uh, and some of them are really high. And Bruchko is laying there and he's looking around. He's trying to figure out how to tell this person how to be saved. And a light bulb switched on in his mind as he looked at those hammocks and he knew what word he was going to use. They had a word in their language which was used to describe the knot that was used to hang the hammocks which then would completely support them while they rested. It basically meant, that word in their language meant to tie into. To tie into in such a way that you are completely relying upon that to support your full weight. So the next morning, he told the man, here's how you can be saved. You must, and he used the word in that language, tie into Jesus. What Bruchko was communicating to that man in a way that he could understand in his language was that he needed to fully rely upon Jesus to save him from God's wrath, just like he fully relied upon that knot to hold while he was suspended between two posts all night while he slept. He needed to fully rely upon Jesus. You see, that's the faith through which God's grace of salvation flows into our lives. It's not us trying to support ourselves. It's not us saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but God, also look at my works. Obviously, you're going to save me because of these good things that I'm doing. No, it's to tie into Jesus completely. We're saved by grace through faith. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 24. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You see the word belief there? It's the same word as the word faith. 
He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. How do we go from death to life? Jesus said, it's by believing. It's by believing in me. It's by believing the good news that God the Father has sent Jesus to rescue us from our sin. And so is your faith in Jesus today? Or do you still have both feet on the ground? Or perhaps one foot on the ground, thinking that you have to do something to earn God's love? Friend, if you've never fully relied upon Jesus Christ to save you, then do so today. Trust in Jesus. He can fully support you. He can rescue you completely from the wrath of God. Salvation is a free gift of God to be received through faith. And that truth leads right into the next truth. I'm not going to spend much time on number two, but I do want to, us to pay attention to it for just a moment. Truth number two is this. Salvation is a complete work of God to be received for His glory. So it's a free gift of God to be received through faith. It's a complete work of God to be received for His glory. This follows right on the heels of what we've been saying. Salvation is through faith and not through our works, which means God is the one who does all the work. And if God does all the work, then guess who gets all the glory? God, the one who does all the work. That's exactly what Paul says in verses 8 through 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, salvation is from God. And the one thing the Bible is very clear about, one of the things the Bible is very clear about, is that God does all things for his glory. God said this through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, God said. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. And so if you study all the times God saved his people in the Old Testament, he always does so in a way that everybody would have to step back and say, God did it. It wasn't that person or it wasn't this group of people. God did it. And he did it that way so that he would receive all the glory. And the same is true for God's greatest act of salvation. He saves us in a way which leaves no room for boasting on our part. We are like Moses standing in the middle of the Red Sea holding nothing but a wooden staff looking at water piled up on either side. Friends, Moses didn't do that. God did it. We are like Joshua and the army of Israel standing among the rubble of the wall of Jericho, having done nothing but walked around in circles and blown some trumpets. Friends, they didn't do it. God did it. All glory goes to God. We're like Gideon with an army whittled down to 300 men, having just defeated the full armies of multiple nations simply by blowing trumpets and smashing jars. It's almost comical. But God made it happen that way so that the only explanation would be God did it so that he would get all the glory. We were dead in sin and by nature children of wrath. And even while we were dead in sin, God made us alive together with Christ. And so all glory goes to God. He did it. Salvation is not our works. It's only by grace through faith, not our works that we can be saved. And so, listen, if you're saved today, may this passage expose any boasting in us. May we be quick to confess that boasting to the Lord. We didn't do the work of salvation in our lives. God did it 
all. He's doing it all from start to finish. He gets all the glory. Even our faith in Jesus is no grounds for boasting because it too is part of the salvation that Paul says is a gift. All that is involved in salvation is a gift from God. I mean, we can think back all the way to the beginning of Ephesians and all we've learned so far, our election, redemption, sealing, the power worked in Christ, the mercy and love with which he made us alive and raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places and the faith whereby we who were dead in sin cast ourselves upon the mercies of God. All of this, Paul says, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Salvation is the complete work of God to be received for his glory. So that's how this great rescue, this great salvation work of God flows into our lives. It's by grace through faith. But then this question remains, does it make any difference? Does it make any difference in our lives in church? The answer is absolutely yes. In fact, it brings into our lives a complete radical transformation. And so the third and final truth I want to share with you is this. Salvation is a transformative work of God to be lived out through good works. It is a, is a work of God that we receive through faith. It is a work of God that results in Him getting the glory. We don't boast in it. And it is a transformative work of God to be lived out through good works. That first four statement in verses 8 through 9 explain how we come to be saved. But the second four statement, verse 10, explains how salvation changes our lives. Remember, verse 7 told us that salvation transforms our lives in eternity, in the coming ages. But verse 10 tells us that the transformation is visible in our lives right now. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This verse has two things in the context. First, it further supports the truth that salvation is God's work and thus is not our work, it's by grace through faith. We are, quote, His workmanship, Paul says. We are created in Christ. We're not our own workmanship. We don't create ourselves in Christ. We are His workmanship. We are created in Christ. We're passive in that sense. God is the one who does the creating work in us. Perhaps the most foundational truth concerning a creation is that it didn't create itself. The building didn't build itself. The, the painting didn't paint itself. The pottery didn't mold itself. And new creations in Christ didn't create or transform themselves. As Calvin said, you see then that this word create is enough to stop the mouths and put away the cackling of such as boast of having any merit. For when they say so, when somebody boasts of having some kind of merit, deserving God's love, he says they presuppose that they were their own creators. And that's just foolishness to say that I created myself. We can't do that. There must be someone who does that work in our lives. And so the first thing verse 10 does is reinforce the truth that we are saved by grace, not by our works. But the second thing verse 10 does in its context is highlight the total and visible transformation that God's gracious work of making us alive in Christ has in our lives right now. Church, salvation is not a result of works, but rest assured that salvation radically transforms our works. God didn't intervene with life-giving rescue merely to leave us in our sin in the here and now. He sent Jesus to destroy the works of Satan. Not just one day in the future, but right now in our lives. 
We are God's workmanship, which means we now serve the purpose for which he has made us new creations in Christ. And we've already seen what this purpose is all the way back in chapter one, verse four, where Paul said that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, here's the purpose, holy and blameless before him. Now, in one sense, that is a reference to how we will be in the new heavens and new earth one day. One way, one day we will be presented as holy and blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. Even then, our physical bodies will be holy and blameless without the defects caused by living in a sin-cursed world. But chapter 2, verse 10 clearly reveals that the holiness and blamelessness for which God chose us and saved us in Christ is to be visible in our lives. In other words, people ought to be able to see that God's grace has flowed into our lives through faith and saved us us from our sin. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not only did God predestine us for salvation, he predestined good works for us to walk in as new creations in Christ. It signifies a visible transformation. I use that phrase that salvation is a transformative work of God because that's exactly what this verse reveals when we see it in its context here in Ephesians 2. Do you see that word walk at the very end of this passage in verse 10? See that word walk? It's often used in the Bible to refer to how we live our lives, the choices that we make, our behavior. Paul uses this word walk seven times in this letter to refer to our manner of living. This is the second time he's used it. Do do you know where the first time was? Verse 1 of chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2. You see, this passage, which is one of the hallmark passages of the gospel in the Bible, is bookended with the word walk. With how we live our lives. Friends, how we live matters to God. Don't think that because salvation is by grace through faith and not by works that God doesn't care how we live our lives. This passage that is centered on salvation by grace through faith is bookended with how we live our lives. But the walk with which it begins in verse 1 is drastically different than the walk with which it ends. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Then skip to verse 10, now we're created for good works that we should walk in them. It's not by accident. Paul's not carelessly putting words down in this letter. He is carefully explaining the good news of the gospel. Friends, hear this. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is not, not that we are sinners, we believe in Jesus, God forgives us, we keep living our lives how we've always lived them, and then when we die, we pull out the ticket to heaven that we got and, and we cash it in and we get into heaven one day. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is a false gospel that many people believe today. The good news of the gospel is this, that we were sinners walking in sin. We believe in Jesus by God's grace. God forgives us and transforms us. Our lives are now filled with good works, characterized by holiness. And one day, God's work of making us holy will be fully realized as we stand before Jesus in a sin-free body. You see the difference in those two explanations of the gospel? One is cheap grace that leads to no transformation in our lives right now and is completely against what God's Word teaches. The other is a beautiful grace that transforms who we are and aligns with what God's Word teaches us. Believing in Jesus is not a way just to get a ticket to heaven so we can just live our lives however we want to live and then get into heaven one day. 
Friend, believing in Jesus is the way to have your life transformed in such a way that your sin is put to death and the holiness of God radiates through your new life. And friend, when you see sin for what it is, you won't want anything other than that. You won't want just a ticket to heaven. You will want God to come in and get rid of the sin that is in your life. Salvation always results in a new creation that is a new walk that looks like Christ Jesus. Because we've been joined together with him. We are created anew in him. And so we are now to look like him. Paul's going to spend the second half of this letter. Maybe, maybe this week you want to read chapters 4 through 6. And he's going to go into lots of examples of how we are to live. What that transformed life looks like. I mean, it transforms how we talk. It transforms our relationships with others. It transforms how we respond when we're sinned against. It, it transforms uh, our work ethic. It transforms our relationships in the home, with children, with, with a spouse. It transforms our working relationships. I mean, it, it's complete transformation in our lives. That is why God sent his son, where once we were dead in sin, we're now alive with Christ, where once we belonged to the ways of this world, and the ways of Satan, the ways of our sinful flesh, now we belong to the ways of Jesus, where his workmanship, where once we were part of the fallen creation, now, praise God, we are new creations in Christ, where once death pulsed through our veins and showed itself in our actions. Now, the life of Jesus pulses through our veins and it shows itself in our actions. God's purpose in saving us by His grace was to glorify Himself by taking His broken creation and making us new. So that when people saw our new relationship to Him, saw our new eternal destination, and when they saw our transformed lives, they would say, only God can do something like that. He would get all the glory. We could not boast in it salvation by grace through faith i like how john stott summarized ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 when he said for what paul does in this passage is to paint a vivid contrast between what man is by nature and what he can become by grace what can he become church completely transformed does this mean as christians that we are perfect and we never sin in this life oh no <laughs> doesn't mean that at all what it does mean is that whereas sin once characterized our lives, now good works with the goal of holiness before God characterizes our lives. And it changes our relationship to sin. So even when we do sin, we see it now as completely contrary to our new identity as new creations in Christ. And we quickly repent and we quickly run back to God in complete dependence upon His saving grace in Christ. Christian, if God saved us for His glory, then guess what? Our lives are going to be lived for His glory. Salvation is a transformative work of God to be, to be lived out through good works. So let me just ask you a few questions and we're going to close. Have you received God's gift of salvation through faith in Jesus? Have you received it? Are you giving God all the glory for your salvation? And does your life look different? I don't mean have you tried to clean your life up on your own. I mean has God come into your life through faith in Jesus and done a transforming work that only can be explained by his powerful saving grace and the people around you can say you're not who you once were. And by God's grace you're growing in Christ and being transformed each and every day. Church, we are not perfect. Even our faith is not perfect. But when the object of our faith is the perfect Savior, Jesus, God's grace will save us and it will transform us and we'll keep doing so until we reach heaven's shores. Praise the Lord. And so having received God's saving grace, we are visibly new creations. Are you a new creation? Have you been transformed 
by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us even when we are dead in our sins, such that you sent Jesus to do a work of transformation in our lives. Thank you that you don't leave us dead in our sin through faith in Jesus, but you completely transform us. Father, thank you for salvation being a free gift, a free gift that does the most incredible work in our lives that could ever be done. Forgiving us of sin, freeing us from sin, and allowing us to walk in fellowship with you each and every day. Father, in this moment, would your word be driven deep into our hearts. May we respond in faith and obedience. And may we praise you for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.